kind of like a similar progression of sort of the way that like internet kind of built out with people running their own servers initially if you wanted to have a website and then there was like GeoCities which was like a shared server like hosting and like you sort of see that's like ethereum and ethereum allows you to build an app easily you don't have to have your own blockchain and then we're seeing like l2s now where they're building their own networks where you could build your own app chain credit market is billion dollar market and it's mostly behind the scenes run by major banks and if there is a decentralized protocol that can enable institutional adoption of a credit market that is a huge huge market like a huge market like multi-trillions of credit gets traded worldwide Michael, we're back in the new year, 2024. I hope you had a great time. I hope everybody out there had an impeccable New Year's party and you're back in full swing. We at The Rundown are back in full swing as well. Our team with Gianna is also back in full swing. Looking forward to working with us. So welcome to a new episode of The Rundown 2024. To you, Michael, and to every one of our listeners as well. Happy New Year, Shiv. Happy New Year to everybody out there. Excited to be back. Excited for 2024. Excited to give some predictions. For 2024, we're going to hold ourselves accountable and make some calls on the episode today. So super excited to jump into it. Amazing, amazing. Look, I'm so excited and I'm so glad that we're doing this. We ended the year with the end of year 2023 recap and we're starting the first week of 2024 with our predictions. And I love it that... We both were open. We both are like, let's make each other accountable. We're going to be brave. We might not get everything right, but we need to make e each other accountable. So let's do the 2024 predictions like we've been doing in our previous episode in Formula One Grand Prix, NASCAR racing, fast speed style. So let's get it underway. Let's start with Bitcoin. What is your call for Bitcoin for 2024, Michael? Uh, yeah, starting with Bitcoin and, you know, we should probably say not investment advice, not financial advice for the folks out there, purely educational. But yeah, starting with Bitcoin. So I have Bitcoin hitting new all-time highs this year. And I know that's not like a lot of people are making that call. So I'm not the only person out there. But yeah, I think it's going to be a great year for Bitcoin. We've talked a lot about sort of the macro setup for Bitcoin. We've talked about the headwind or the tailwinds with the Bitcoin ETF, which we think is going to be approved in January. And so there's a lot of tailwinds behind Bitcoin for 2024. I'm also expecting potentially some volatility. So I think we saw the Fed come out and Jerome Powell give his speech recently with a more dovish tone. And so we're expecting rate cuts next year. Typically when the Fed starts cutting, that is because there's some pain in the markets. So we do expect some volatility, but after those rate cuts, we think it's going to be a really good setup for Bitcoin for the rest of the year and leading to an all-time high in Q4. So that's the first kind of Bitcoin call, ETF approval, all-time high. We think corporate adoption is going to be interesting, potentially adoption from like the investment community, RIAs, because of the new accounting rules and the ability to custody the asset alongside other assets in a client portfolio. So yeah, big year for Bitcoin ahead. And as we know, Bitcoin is sort of the sort of moves the rest of the market. So if Bitcoin does well, we're going to see some other stuff as well. And we'll, we're going to get into the rest of it here. Absolutely. And how could we forget 2024 is the year of the Bitcoin halving. So that is going to play a huge role as well. 
increasing the price. Whether ETF happens or not, that by itself is a great narrative. And historically, it has proven that uh, the halving event just boosts the price eventually of Bitcoin as well. So just to be clear for our audience over there, I think it was close to 70,000 US dollars. That was the all-time high so far. I think it didn't touch 70,000 in the Coinbase exchanges, like the big exchanges that didn't touch the 70,000 US dollar mark. So what you're saying is that it's going to breach $70,000, but people have to get, got that psychological factor, whether it's going to touch $100,000 or not. So let's go one step further. $100,000 or not, Michael? I'm saying no on $100,000 for 2024. And thanks for, for digging into this a little more. Yeah, so I think we clear the, the all-time highs. We don't get to 100,000. I think the bull run extends into 2025 and we do move past 100,000 in, in 2025, but we breach the all-time highs sometime in Q4 is, is is the call. So anywhere between 70,000 and you know 99,000 or so to be precise. But yeah, that, that's kind of the thinking for Bitcoin for next year. Amazing, amazing. And look, uh, while we go through more episodes this year, we're gonna touch upon stock to flow model and MRVR Z-score. We're going to touch on that more and track and monitor Bitcoin's growth uh, for this year onto your call, which is the all-time high. But that's Bitcoin. Let's move on to the second big daddy, Ethereum. What's your call for Ethereum for this year? So Ethereum is not getting a ton of love. I think a lot of the people in Ethereum are a little jealous of just a lot of the attention that Solana has been getting. Even Bitcoin has been outperforming Ethereum as well. I do expect this to flip pretty soon. So, and this is typical. So typically, you know, we we mentioned Bitcoin tends to lead the market, especially coming out of like as, as we head into a bull market. And then you tend to see Ethereum take off thereafter. After the Bitcoin ETF, it's my view that Ethereum is going to start to capture more market attention. The, the market will start to realize that Ethereum is going to be number two to get the ETF. Ethereum has a real yield behind it that's coming from the user activity on the network that if you stake the asset, you can capture that yield. That becomes a much more interesting financial product than even a Bitcoin ETF or Wall Street. And so I do think that the attention will actually swing back to Ethereum after after we see Bitcoin sort of hit its moment earlier in the year. I do have uh, all-time highs for Ethereum as well. And so just looking at sort of the structure of Ethereum over the last year or so, I would say I'm going to consider 2023 to be like part of crypto winter, even though the price was up throughout the year. On-chain activity was still pretty low compared to where we saw where we were at the peak of the last cycle. However, Ethereum was deflationary for 2023. So the network had 0.28% deflation for the year. So if we see more on-chain activity, which we are expecting in next year, I'm expecting that number to double. So we go to over half a percent of deflation next year. And that gets pretty interesting when you factor in, okay, that's more on-chain activity. That means the on-chain fees are going to be up, which means the yields, the Ethereum stake rate and the yields is also, I think, going to be above 5% for next year. And so these are all, you know, some nice tailwinds for Ethereum. And I also have the revenues doubling next year, which makes Ethereum one of the fastest growing technology networks in the market. So yeah, those are that's kind of the Ethereum calls for 2024. What's the price though? I want the price. The people People want to hear the price from Michael. So Newton. Ethereum, yeah. So Ethereum's all-time high was around 4,800. Uh, I believe I don't have the exact number, but it was in that range. My sort of prediction for Ethereum, like the next sort of full-on cycle, and we have this in the Ethereum investment framework, which I recommend people check out. I do believe it'll get to 10,000 at some point. For next year, I have it over 5,000, probably somewhere in the five to 6,000 range and going higher when Bitcoin ultimately breaches 100,000 and I have that happening in, in 2025. Cool. That's amazing. It's good to have that price ranges 
And look, uh, since we talk about price ranges, and I appreciate that you said that you don't see Ethereum reaching $10,000 in 2024, I have to make a call out because uh, there are a lot of crypto influencers out there that for the last four years have been saying at the start of every year, Ethereum is going to reach $10,000. So they can have a thumbnail, clickbait thumbnail out there. Very respected people in the crypto industry. And I just want to see level to level to our audience and tell you guys that we are not those people. And we would never clickbait thumbnail just so that we can get more views. So that's like very analytical approach that Michael has taken. And I've also looked at it at a high level. And we believe if it happens, well and good. But we believe in our methodological approach in analyzing these assets that I also agree with you that uh, I don't see Ethereum reaching $10,000. And I'll give my quick takeaway as to why I don't think so. Maybe I'm biased in that. Probably my proof of work podcast name gives away that. But I believe proof of work consensus system is a bulletproof consensus system with Ethereum moving from proof of work to proof of stake. And it makes sense why they did it because of they wanted scaling. But because they've done it, I think 2024, this year, is going to be especially a very volatile year for Ethereum. We're going to see just how this proof-of-stake network and the likes of Lido and all the other restaking that happens, what sort of centralization issues that it causes. And the other thing that I really want to dig deep as we go and do this podcast throughout the year is meet more people from the Ethereum Foundation and actually get them on the show as well and just hear their opinion as to how they are looking to, you know, are they even thinking about their competitors like Solana? Do they even think of them as competitors? So Ethereum to me, I think it's going to be, while it is undervalued, even at $5,000, $6,000 based on the fundamental analysis that you present in the Ethereum investment framework. And again, highly recommend we'll drop a link for the framework on our YouTube video so that you guys can check out. So I do believe that it's undervalued. Having said that, compared to other cryptos out there and with the increased competition of proof of stake, smart contract networks out there, I think it's going to be tough to see Ethereum breaching $10,000, especially if we don't see Bitcoin breaching $100,000. Love it. Yeah. And to just go a little deeper on Ethereum, we have some predictions for like for L2s as well. So we've seen the L2, you know, we did an episode on sort of the economics of, of L2s. So people could check that out. But what we've kind of seen for the most part with L2s and the early L2s that have gained adoption over the last year, year and a half, Arbitrum, Optimism, these are optimistic rollups. I'm not going to get into the technical kind of differences here, but there is a new breed of Ethereum L2s slash rollups that are zero knowledge rollups. And those are offering better privacy for on-chain activity. And we've been looking at a lot of data related to some of these zero knowledge rollups that they don't even have tokens yet. They're still fairly early. ZK Sync is one of them, Starknet as well. So I'm thinking that we're going to see a little bit more mindshare go to these zero knowledge rollups and potentially some interesting new use cases where you got that privacy on chain with these zero knowledge rollups. So that's one call just related to L2s. You know, you mentioned Ethereum Foundation. They are going to be releasing an Ethereum improvement proposal called 4844. That is a scaling implementation for the L2s. And I'm expecting the cost per transaction to drop by 10x for L2s. And, you know, when you look at what's going on there currently, it's around 20 cents. 
cents, give or take, for these L2s right now per transaction on average. So if that drops 10x, you get down to two cents per transaction. Still not where it needs to be, but pretty cheap. And as that happens, I just believe that's going to be really interesting for developers to look at that and say, okay, I can build something. It's really cheap. There's throughput. Like the use cases for what we will see built on Ethereum is going to really change. I think this is the hardest part for people to forecast. Um, it's very easy to look at these things and say, oh, it's slow or it's not scaling or you just look at it in the present moment, not realizing that those infrastructures changing as the infrastructure changes, the, there are going to be new entrepreneurs and developers that are in web two right now that are going to end up in web three because of this. I mean, that's, that's sort of what I'm forecasting. So EIP 4844, big deal. As this plays out, I'm projecting that the amount of gas that's going to be consumed at the L1 level, 15% of that is going to come from L2s. So the last I looked at this, it was at about 8.8% in terms of the amount of transactions coming from the L2s settling on Ethereum L1, 8.8% of all of Ethereum's gas consumption. I have that number doubling to 15% for next year. Um, so that's the other call for L2s. And then uh, restaking. I think is going to be a really interesting development. Uh, this is related related to Eigenlayer and the ability to take your Ethereum, stake it into a solution such as Lido, where you're now you know validating transactions and you're earning a yield for providing that service. You'll be able to take that derivative token, which is your staked ETH, and then deposit that into Eigenlayer, which then basically uses your staked ETH to rent security and for other L2s. And now you're capturing a little more yield because you're capturing some of the user fees coming from those L2s. So this is like potentially going to create a leverage cycle for DeFi, I believe. This could replace a lot of the leverage that we saw with like the centralized solutions, BlockFi, Celsius. So it's a little concerning. Something I'm going to watch for is this restaking and that creating a leverage cycle uh, sort of organically within DeFi, um, I think is something to watch for as well. That's what I love about you and your analytical brain and your passion for crypto. You're balanced and I absolutely totally agree with your analysis and your foresight. I think as we're going to start seeing a more speculative bull cycle as we continue on this year, this is absolutely something that we need to monitor. And personally, as a co-host of Rundown, I would love that we continue to monitor actively because we've noticed in all the previous cycles, none of the crypto media companies are monitoring this stuff. And that's why with every bull cycle, when it ends, it's like a black swan event has happened. But when you look at the things, when you monitor it on a weekly basis, you're like, it was quite evident out there. And I just, as somebody, as you are somebody so passionate about crypto, and we want this industry and its image to get clean, we need to monitor these activities on a weekly basis so that at least there is one media repository that people can go to and be like, you know, at least these guys were monitoring. If we would have followed them, we would have been, you know, not busted like a lot of FTX users got busted. A lot of Celsius users got busted. So I'm so happy that you brought it up and we got to actively monitor that. So thank you. Yeah, and it's hard. I mean, I saw this last cycle, like, you know, the people that call things out, like when it's in a, when you're in a bull run, nobody wants to hear these things. Like, like you said, it was when you look back, it was kind of obvious, like that these business models of Celsius and BlockFi and even the Rayscale, like carry trade that was happening. And like, it was kind of unsustainable. And you, then you had like the Gemini's of the world offering, you know, really high staking yields, you know, through their interface. It's hard to call these things out in the bull market because nobody wants to hear it. So 
it will take conviction for us to sort of call some of this out if we see it. But I totally agree. I think the market needs more of that. And hopefully we can play a little bit of a role there going forward. Amazing. Let's move on to DeFi. Since you are the founder of the DeFi report, I'm looking forward to hearing what your predictions are for DeFi in 2024. Yes. So DeFi has been sort of in a, I would say, a bit of a winter uh, for a long time. Since really the DeFi summer kicked off, that was really like when we first saw the, the influx of like Compound and Synthetics and Uniswap came a little bit later, but you had Aave and like Curve. And like this was the DeFi summer 2020. Ever since then, that was really before like Bitcoin hit its all-time high. You saw this with DeFi and DeFi hasn't really fully rebounded from that. I'm expecting it to come back and I'm, I'm sort of looking at Solana here. So it's going to be interesting to me to see where DeFi really starts to come back. I think it's going to come back on Ethereum and it's going to be the blue chips. So I'm really like these power laws in crypto are very powerful to me. Like Uniswap, we've talked about this in the past, just sort of the moat that Uniswap has captured with 60 to 70% market share. We look at MakerDAO, that was one of the OGs. You look at Aave, I expect these things to just keep winning. I just think it's really hard to disrupt a network effect and a liquidity, really with, with liquidity on these DeFi protocols. So I'm expecting the, the blue chips to do well, but I'm looking at Solana and thinking that Solana, it's gonna be very interesting to see if we get more DEX volumes potentially on Solana because it's so cheap to trade there. And we've already seen like this is getting like we've we saw DEX volumes on Solana actually pass Ethereum recently, you know, when this really hasn't started yet. So looking at Solana, there's a lot of interesting products on Solana. I'm, I'm using some stuff over there. I recommend people set up a wallet uh, and, and use Solana because there's you know, some light bulb moments for me and when I first started using it going back to like last January compared to what using Ethereum, you start to realize like this is a different thing. It's a monolithic architecture. It's much easier to interact with. Feels very snappy. User experience is much better. So play around in DeFi. You know, there's there's Jupiter, there's Orca, there's Meridate Finance. Um, I just recommend people, you know, set up a wallet and just play around a little bit. You can do that on Solana and every transaction is a fraction of a penny. This is hard to do on Ethereum. It's hard to play around in a bull market when the transactions are 10 dollars right? You can do it on Solana. So I recommend people check that out. But yeah, in terms of like the actual hard predictions, I think DEX volumes an all-time high in terms of their percentage of spot volumes, which is currently around 15%. So I have DEX volumes hitting all-time highs. I'm looking at Uniswap and this new hook program that they have with, with their V4 update. And I'm thinking that we're going to see Uniswap start to build out like KYC permission pools, potentially institutions coming in and doing so leveraging the Uniswap protocol. And this is where we see essentially Uniswap become this base layer for all these different liquidity pools, potentially with tr with traditional finance. And we've talked about this before, but traditional finance cannot come into DeFi currently because there's no way for them to identify their counterparts within these pools. So there needs to be a KYC solution so they understand who their counterparties are to the trades. I expect that to happen. And I'm looking at Uniswap to potentially introduce that in 2024. Amazing. So yeah, lot up activities and yeah, totally spot on, totally agree with you. 2020 was the DeFi summer. And ever since we had the peak of crypto market in November, 2021, we haven't really seen the resurgence of DeFi. So yeah, totally agree with your assessment there. But yeah, the foundation, which is that the idea of people getting into decentralized exchanges, like I was just reading the, I think so yesterday only, 
DeFi DX, for example, DeFi DX, which is a decentralized exchange, unlike the Binance or FTX or Crypto.com, where there are people that are managing. It's like Uniswap. So DeFi DX is like Uniswap, but DeFi DX is doing very well in terms of its trading volume. Do trades, active intraday trades using their decentralized protocol. So a lot of great stuff happening as concepts in different protocols out there, but we haven't had that killer app moment like we had in 2020 when we saw, you know, one by one compound protocol, Aave, then eventually Uniswap, MakerDAO with their DAI stable coin. A lot of them just coming one by one. We haven't saw that resurgence ever since the peak of 2021. But to your point about the institutional adoption of these decentralized protocols, one other protocol that I'm actively looking on is uh, Goldfinch. I believe you would have come across that as well. So, I mean, credit market. A lot of people, students who watch our podcasts, interested in finance, interested in crypto. Credit market is billion-dollar market, and it's mostly behind the scenes run by major banks. And if there is a decentralized protocol that can enable institutional adoption of a credit market, that is a huge, huge market, like a huge market, like multi-trillions of credit gets traded worldwide. So Goldfinch is one of them. Highly recommend people to check that out. But yeah, uh, looking forward to it. And I just want to specify again what you said, because it's a very good advice that you've given. And I want to firstly say that whatever advice that Michael and me are giving in this episode, none of them are, you know, financial advice, tax advice, accounting advice, none of them. It's all for educational purposes. And Michael specified that as well. But if you want to learn about crypto, learn about DeFi, probably go to Solana because the transaction cost is in few cents and that got you the light bulb moment. So highly recommend people and to re-emphasize what Michael said in his uh, segment that go create a wallet in Solana, do something with NFTs, do something with the DeFi protocols in Solana. That's the way that you'll get to learn. So treat everything that we are saying as educational advice and uh, great advice by you, Michael. On one final point on that, thanks. Um, just on DeFi, and this is something I've been thinking about as well with sort of Ethereum DeFi versus Solana DeFi, and that is the ETH stake rate. So I've been thinking about sort of the ETH stake rate is starting to get standardized. We saw, so Coindesk indices came out with Caesar in conjunction with CoinFund and they're standardizing that stake, right? So, so that the market has, okay, this is, this, this is the current stake rate. They're doing that because once you standardize it, then you can build other financial products on top of that. So now we could potentially see and I know there's some protocols in Ethereum being built for interest rate swaps, massive market, like you just mentioned credit markets, massive, massive market for interest rate swaps, because then you could potentially get fixed rate yields off of that. So this is sort of how, you know, you have mortgages that are fixed rate mortgages in traditional finance because there's an interest rate swap market. It's a massive, massive market. So that's something I'm looking for as well. And then that's an advantage that Ethereum has over Solana because you don't have that as formed sort of stake rate, which is more of a, a real yield in Ethereum than it is uh, on Solana just yet. So that's another just item to look for. Amazing. And we're going to monitor it this year often. Yeah, totally agree with you, Michael. Uh, definitely. It is something to look out for this year. This year, I'm pumped for this year. I'm just pumped for this year. We're going to see institutional adoption. We're going to see Bitcoin. We're going to see Ethereum and we're going to see Solana. And I know you're pumped for Solana. Tell me a little bit about Solana venture capital activity. What are your calls there? Yeah. 
And for people that read the DeFi report, Solana is a third like layer one network we've covered. We've only covered three. So Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, and we're getting deeper on Solana. What I am seeing with Solana now is, you know, and this is usually like a good way to kind of assess what's happening next. It's just follow the, the venture capitalists. I'm seeing more VC activity on the margin going to Solana versus Ethereum, right? So if you have more venture capitalists seeding projects on Solana, that is going to ultimately manifest in more on-chain activity on Solana, you know, more users on Solana. And so probably bullish for the Solana token price as well. And so keep an eye on Solana. Solana has a ton of momentum. And I think people are sort of projecting that it could flip Ethereum. I don't have it flipping Ethereum. I do think it outperforms Ethereum in 2024. That's the Solana, the Solana call. I think it sort of establishes itself as the number two behind Ethereum. And there's almost like no, like we sort of put that that discussion to bed. And then we'll see in the future who actually wins. But I think Solana asserts itself as as the number two smart contract network. We've talked a little bit about how it's differentiated from Ethereum with its monolithic design. Uh, we mentioned this, the user experience. We really like it. You just see the community, right? If you go on crypto Twitter, there's, there's a similar fervent mission-driven community of developers, evangelists, investors, you know, venture capitalists within Solana that you see, you, you just haven't seen that anywhere else other than Ethereum and, and Bitcoin, I would say. So so it's pretty clear that it's here, here to stay and excited to see what gets built on Solana. Amazing. Yeah, look, uh, I still want you to flesh me out a price call for our viewers. What is a price that you think would be, would it be reaching an all-time high? Like, do you think it is going to reach $500? Because it's never reached $500. So I have it reaching an all-time high next year. So similar to Ethereum and Bitcoin. So Solana got up to, I think, $260 in the last cycle. And then it dropped all the way down to 8 or $9. So a massive decline. I do have it going all the way back to all-time highs in Q4, similar with Ethereum and Bitcoin, but not getting to 500 So let's call it, it gets to $300 or so in Q4. Got it. Amazing. So look, I am also going to look at Solana. And I think we covered this when you came on the Proof of Work podcast, not on the rundown, but I think we covered this on the Proof of Work podcast when you were showcasing your Ethereum investment framework. And it's something that I teach my MBA students in India when I teach them about crypto, which is a BCG framework that came in the 1970s called the rule of three or four, which means that in any industry after a period of time, there are only three or four players that come up and capture 80 to 90% of the market. So Bitcoin is different to Ethereum. At least at this stage, it is, even though we're seeing a lot of ordinals activity and a lot of innovation happening on the blockchain network of Bitcoin. But still, Bitcoin, to me, despite what everybody says, is still a monetary asset. Ethereum, to me, is a technological asset. I don't think, despite all the ultrasound money memes by crypto Twitter about Ethereum, to me, Ethereum, with its proof-of-stake algorithm, is not a monetary asset anymore. It's a technology asset. It's a network asset. Similarly, Solana to me is a technology asset. It's a network asset. And I agree with you. Ethereum, Solana, they are probably the you know top two smart contracts platform out there. So I think they both would be capturing the smart contracts rule of three or four. What would be good to see, and we should monitor as well, because I know DeFi Report is going to start covering more protocols, more blockchain networks as well. You started off 
with three, which is great. Now you're going to cover more throughout the year in DeFi report. People should check out Michael's DeFi report as well. It'll be interesting to see whether it's going to be Aptos, you know, whether it's going to be near protocol, whether it's going to be something totally different that uh, is going to come. So I think the first two, Ethereum, Solana, four smart contracts platform. But for the number three or number four, I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Avalanche is doing very well as we ended year 2023. But yeah, it's going to be good to see that. That's a great point too. We Actually, I have covered Avalanche. I guess I should sort of clarify what I was saying is I've sort of blessed Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Solana as investable opportunities. I did cover Avalanche and people could check that out. Avalanche is interesting and I've had interesting interactions with people over there. I just haven't seen enough to actually allocate capital and like also build out a portfolio where you're not only investing in that, the L1, but in critical infrastructure around it. Not there yet. When I wrote about it just over the past month or so, I said, you know, we may come back to it. We'll see because there's certainly a lot of activity there. And I think it's really, really good tech as well. So yeah, just for the record out there, Michael is my friend. So whenever he blesses any project with, I then get excited about it. But still, I do my own research. I use D5 report as one of the research artifacts in order to make my own decision. But again, nothing that Michael and I are talking in this episode is financial or investment advice. So even though Michael has articulated that his blessings are towards Bitcoin, Ethereum and Solana, it doesn't mean that he's given you guys investment advice. Do your own research. Look at the DeFi report. Look at the Rundown podcast as part of your research artifacts but do your own research at the end of the day. 100%, 100%. So Michael, we've talked a lot about the first half of this episode, going through the major technological innovations and technological protocols out there that majority of the audience in crypto knows. Now let's go through something that were only innovated in the crypto world in the past few years. So can you tell me what is DPIN? Because let's firstly decipher what DPIN is for our listeners that have never been exposed to that concept, at least on the Rundown podcast. Yeah, so DPIN stands for Decentralized Physical Infrastructure Networks. And really like the first iteration of this, it was like Helium Network. And people may be familiar with Helium. They're trying to build out essentially a 5G, you know, wireless decentralized network where anybody can can run basically a node, provide that fi that 5G wireless signal. So you kind of build that out globally by individual people running that hardware in their homes and they're incentivized to, to run the hardware. They're the supply of the network uh, because Helium is issuing them tokens to do so. So you're sort of bootstrapped. This is the thing that's really interesting about crypto is that you can use these crypto economic incentives to bootstrap distributed supply side networks. And so Helium was the first iteration of this. It, it's what we've seen is like this ability to use t crypto and tokens to sort of bootstrap the supply side is extremely powerful. So Helium has a very big supply side of the network, but we haven't seen the demand side come in just yet. And I think the costs, you essentially have to, if you're a consumer and you're looking at Helium 5G wireless, cost just needs to be really reliable coverage. And it probably needs to be cheaper than what you're paying for uh, currently, or there needs to be some other use case for it. So we haven't really seen the demand, but it seems clear that there these networks can be bootstrapped. So we're seeing other ones as well. Hive Mapper is an interest, interesting one. These are mostly on Solana, well, which is interesting. So Helium actually had its own blockchain, has since moved over to Solana. Hive Mapper is a mapping service. So same idea. If you drive your drive a lot, you put a little node on your car and it's tracking, it's mapping as you drive around 
providing services to the network and you are incentivized to do that because you are earning tokens to do that. So HiveMapper has uh, 5.8 million kilometers that are mapped out. And this is potentially like competing with Google Maps eventually. And it's it's building out the supply side of all that mapping in a distributed decentralized manner. So I'm looking at these on Solana also, there's something called Teleport, which is a Web3 Uber. Same idea, right? You're incentivizing a distributed network of drivers to, to enter the market with tokens. And so, yeah, this is a, an area that I think is gonna catch the sort of crypto narrative, which we know could be very powerful. Like we saw NFTs, you know, capture people's attention and this ability. So I believe this is going to be a big theme in 2024, these deep head networks specifically on, on uh, Solana. And I think HiveMapper is the one that I'm kind of most interested in because I've seen this progress uh, that they're making. They're still pretty nascent and I'm keeping an eye on HiveMapper. Amazing, amazing. And I'm so glad that you brought this vertical as well and these concepts as well within our show, especially the first show of 2024, because for a lot of newbies, a lot of crypto curious people, especially students, because I teach crypto at a couple of business schools in India. A lot of students ask me, yes, I know Ethereum. Yes, I know DeFi. Yes, I know, you know, Bitcoin. But what about normal Web2 platforms that I use? They're still on Web2. When am I going to see that on Web3? This is your moment. This is your moment. I teach crypto entrepreneurship at a business school in New Delhi, capital city of India. All those students, they end up getting to learn how to use their transferable skills in Web2, plus the innovative Web3 product management principles and the technology that underpins all this to create Web3 product innovation for consumers. And what Michael has looted with Deepin are all product innovations that will touch everyday people's life. You do not need, want to do financialization using DeFi protocols. That's okay. You're going to use a Web3 version of Google Maps using HiveMapper. You're going to connect rather than your centralized telecommunications provider. You're going to set up a Helium hardware box and connect and use internet using Helium. You're going to do so many crazy things. So... I'm going to look out for 2024 for amazing entrepreneurs. People who are watching this show want to do something in Web3. 2024 is your year. We're entering a bull cycle. You got an idea. You got some integrity. Build something. You can build something. People are going to start pouring money into venture capital again. Michael has given you some good insights. A lot of activities happening in Solana. Solana is cheaper. Go to Solana. Test it. You got some skills, build something, you'll get money. I think 2024 year is going to be the year for crypto entrepreneurs at mass scale, whether they are in India, whether they are in US, whether they are in Australia, Hong Kong, Dubai, wherever they are, 2024, according to me, is going to be the year also for crypto entrepreneurs. And the best, I mean, the best way to learn crypto in many ways is to use this stuff, right? So anybody can go, you, you can go buy the thing to put on your car to actually participate in the supply side of the HiveMapper network. Anybody can do that and you'll earn tokens in HiveMapper for doing so. And if, you know, if somebody does that and they are just driving around, maybe you're an Uber driver and you happen to be in your car all day and you're earning these tokens, and then you see that the price of the network go up because there's so much mapping going on. And, and maybe Google starts to use that service instead of like, think about how much Google has to pay to go around and map the entire world for Google Maps. Maybe they just tap into HiveMapper. These are light bulb moments but you sort of have to like use the stuff and really get involved to get those light bulb moments. So amazing. Moving forward to social media and gaming. I know that there were spikes in the year 2023 when it comes to Web3 gaming and Web3 social as well, but nothing that really was sustainable. 
So Michael, give us some insights as we start 2024 in decentralized social media and gaming. Yeah, like there's always, and sort of like, like similar to Deepin, you know, you tend to see like early iterations of these in, uh, innovations come out and they usually don't work initially, but we tend to see then a new entrepreneur looks at it and learns from what didn't work from the first iteration and you get another iteration. We've seen this with social media, like the first one was like Steam. And then we had BitClout, which was, you know, one that had a lot of like VC backing that that didn't go anywhere. But we've seen FriendTech this cycle. Farcaster is a social media app on Ethereum as well. I just think this is going to hit. At some point, I don't know if it's going to be in 2024. I got a feeling that there's a lot of people and I'm hearing anecdotally that because of the success that FriendTech had, there's a lot more developer activity on this particular use case. And so I think someone's going to hit it. We will see if it actually happens in 2024, but I could see this capturing people's attention in a similar way that like NFTs did in 2021. So that's an area that I'm watching and then gaming as well. So we've seen similar to social media apps we had axie infinity and like you know it c captured everybody's attention had the posi you know economics tied into it so it didn't work and the game really wasn't a great game to begin with and people were just there because of the financial element to it i'm expecting games i'm not a gamer myself but i do follow this this area and i just rely on other people that are deeper into it and most of the gaming activity is happening on immutable x which is an australian based project about 75% of the games are on immutable so I'm keeping an eye on immutable alluvium is another interesting gaming project also an Australian entrepreneur behind that uh, Kane works uh, brother so some interesting stuff with gaming in the Australian market that I'm keeping an eye on but I think a game is going to hit similar to the thesis on social media don't know what game it is just think that it's going to hit at some point there's a ton of activity in this area developers, entrepreneurs. So expecting to see just one game, all you need is one game to hit. That can be pretty mainstream, even if it's just one game. I'm excited for that space as well. So look, uh, before I give my commentary about uh, decentralized social media and gaming, I have to say that I probably would be biased because the person that got me introduced to crypto venture capital, Rachel Levine, who was the general partner of the fund that I invested in, now is the senior director of strategy and ventures at Immutable X. So I am biased. And of course, Immutable X is Sydney-based startup. So I'm biased because I'm Australian. Illuvium, I do not know the founders, but I've got friends who are very close to the founders of Illuvium. And Illuvium is also a Sydney-based, Melbourne-based startup. So again, an Australian startup out there. So love Illuvium, love Immutable X. I am biased, but this show is not about me. This show is not about Michael. So I'm going to try to balance it out for our viewers who are gamers and also try to give some commentary that what I'm hearing from some of my friends in the US who are in the venture capital world, not just Danny from Decasonic, but others in Silicon Valley as well, what they've been telling me. The interesting thing for me as we go through 2024 is that whether Immutable X will continue to have somewhat of a major share in Web3 gaming or we're going to see gaming technology companies coming up with their own blockchain. When we think about metaverse and gaming, you know, a lot of the companies are still not sold in Vetreed game because there is a friction involved. And again, I, I want to give kudos to Immutable X. They've recently come up with Immutable Passport that basically is supposed to be a decentralized protocol, but this wallet is supposed to give you that Web3 wallet through which you can have a somewhat of a central repository where you can play a lot of Web3 games that are built on Immutable X. 
So it reduces friction somewhat and kudos to them to come up with that innovation. But from what I'm hearing from a lot of legacy game developers out of Japan and out of US as well, is that they're still not sold on Web3 games. And that's why Fortnite, Roblox, they are tinkering with the idea of Web3, but they are like, it's just a project. It's just a side project for our developers. We are dedicated in just improving the experience on our Web2 engine for our existing users. So given that they are much more valued than a lot of these Web3 gaming infrastructure providers, and we saw with Axie Infinity that they came up with their own run in blockchain, I get a feeling that a lot of the legacy gaming technology companies would eventually create their own blockchain, like eventually. And it just comes back to that whole technology innovation thing that was popularized by Steve Jobs that the best software producers create their own hardware. And I see somewhat similar concept that the best gaming companies would eventually start building their own block gaming blockchain. The other point that I'll quickly make, and maybe you love it because I'm hearing a lot of Solana stuff from you, Michael, is that some of my Solana friends that I made before I was friends with people in Immutable, they absolutely hate layer two blockchains. They are like using layer two blockchains for gaming doesn't make sense when you can use something like Solana. And you would appreciate that. Solana got its limelight, not because of DeFi. It got its limelight initially because of all the games that were being built on Solana and all the NFTs that were being built on Solana. So I think we're going to probably see a lot of gaming on Solana. That's my humble opinion. So yeah, but having said that, love what Immutable is doing, but I just thought of giving that balanced commentary, especially being mindful that I'll be biased towards Immutable and Illuvium. Yeah, and I think it's a great point on the app chain stuff. Like I do think that's ultimately where the market goes. Um, it's kind of like a similar progression of sort of the way that like internet kind of built out with people running their own servers. Initially, if you wanted to have a website and then there was like GeoCities, which was like a shared server like hosting and like you sort of see that's like ethereum and ethereum allows you to build an app easily you don't have to have your own blockchain and then we're seeing like l2s now where they're building their own networks where you could build your own app chain as well and then ultimately that's like amazon web services made it really easy for everybody to, to have those services so we're seeing like again blockchains protocols these are infrastructure so as the infrastructure improves the thing that the mainstream audience ends up using improves and the use cases for what those can be is always changing and evolving as well so great point on, on the app chains i'm so happy that you brought up geocities i didn't think that i'll ever mention geocity in the rundown podcast but the millennial in me is so happy to know that and for all the people, all the rundown listeners who haven't really one-on-one -on -one interacted with me or Michael, we actually are in our mid-30s, right, Michael? We both are in our mid-30s, even though we don't look like in our mid-30s. And I get that a lot, and I know you get that a lot as well. But both Michael and I have seen the evolution of the web. GeoCities was eventually bought up by Yahoo, but it was the Web 1 version, right? It was, was not even a web two, it was web one. And it's great that now we are actually doing a podcast where we're now talking about web three, but it's great that you brought up GeoCities. It just brought back nostalgic memories to me. A lot of similarities to the way the internet developed and the way blockchains are developing. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. Look, if 2023 had a great year for a crypto concept, to me, that was stable coin. To me, 2023 was the year of stable coins 
within the crypto industry. Whenever anything bad was happening, whatever recovery we happened, we saw in 2023, stablecoin had its heyday in the year 2023. What do you see stablecoins in 2024 now, given the momentum that they've got? Yeah, in particular, like dollar-backed stablecoins and not algorithmic stablecoins, not the Terra Lunas. Like, I actually hope that we, it seems like maybe we won't see those anymore. I don't know. I actually don't really have a line of, line of sight on if people are still trying to build these algorithmic stablecoins like Terra Luna, which didn't work out. And I know Justin's son from Tron is trying to build it, but we'll see how that okay. works. Yeah. So, and for this discussion, we're talking about dollar-backed stablecoins, which... You know, we're seeing essentially Tether serve playing this role as like building. It's really like almost we're building out a euro dollar market on chain. And it's very fascinating. Again, if you go through history and look at what happened with the euro dollar market, which is really just demand for dollars in Europe, eventually banks started issuing dollars from European banks. And what do you see currently? You have Tether, which is just not based in the US, essentially issuing dollars on chain and backing those dollars with, or sorry, backing those on chain stable coins with US treasuries. So it's creating net new demand for US treasuries. Very, very interesting. I think Tether has just consistently seen this like bud in the market about Tether and everybody thinks that Tether's fake. And like a part of this is because they have not been very transparent about their business model, their reserves, third party audits, all of that. And I think people know that story. But at the same time, the market is sort of the ultimate referee, the ultimate test. And even we just mentioned Terra Luna when that was going on. I mean, there were major concerns that Tether was going to experience a bunch of withdrawals and that they wouldn't be able to meet them. I mean, they they met, I want to say it was over 6 billion in withdrawals in one day during Terra Luna. So my conviction around Tether is growing that this is actually a well-run company. It's one of the most profitable companies in the world. So it's kind of amazing to me. On the other side of that, you have USDC, which is uh, sort of the Circle and Coinbase it was a consortium. They've now like actually molded the, the two companies or created a separate entity around that. So I expect stablecoins to reach, this is really, again, dollar-backed stablecoins to reach a all-time high in terms of market cap. So that would be over $200 billion of stablecoins circulating. Those are backed by dollars and US treasuries. Um, I expect, so we have a new all-time high in, in just terms of market cap. And then in terms of on-chain transaction volume, I have stablecoins surpassing that of Visa. So that would be 12, over $12 trillion of on-chain volume for 2024. So so another big year for stablecoins. And then the last point that I'll, I want to make, and this is less of a prediction, but part of the reason that Tether's business model is so fantastic is that they don't return any yield to the stablecoin holder, right? So they're basically acting as a bank that pays zero interest. And so somebody is going to create a stablecoin and part of this is regulatory you know issues with that being a security and coming into compliance with it it's clear that to me that someone's probably already building this stablecoin that can return some of that yield to the to the holder of the stablecoin and then when that starts to happen, Tether's going to have to change their business model or they're just going to lose market share over time. Same thing for USDC. So looking for it to see the sort of a yield product with, with the stablecoin. Um, but yeah, excited for stablecoins. This is really like the killer use case for crypto so far. Yeah, absolutely. And look, uh, shout out to my fellow Sterney alumnus as well, Dante, who's the chief strategy officer of Circle. And uh, he watches the Proof of Work podcast. And he also watches the rundown now as well, Michael. So Dante, 
I'm close to him and I'm super bullish on stable coins. I think we're going to continue to see stable coins uh, be incorporated more even within the Web2 tech stack as well. That's where we're going to see stable coins, at least in the e-commerce space, get there. And also what personally really excites me as somebody who is an Indian Australian, because yes, US dollar, you know, it's, it's basically the internet fiat currency as well. I mean, US dollar is the internet fiat currency, but I think stable coins killer use case, which it has already shows case with the US dollar will be recognized once, let's say Australia has got its own Australian dollar stable coin that is utilized dominantly within the Australian e-commerce space. And similarly, while I don't see it happening in this year, 2024, but eventually emerging economies like India, emerging economies like Philippines, where a lot of our team is, we want to see stable coins there as well. Because actually those people in these emerging economies are going to benefit a lot more than the advanced economies with the introduction of stable coins on their internet businesses. So really hopeful that we see something, at least in the emerging economies with stable coins. But if 2023 was the year of stable coins, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Just on that point, I think it's a great point that this is really not something that we're seeing take on really in the United States. It's an emerging market phenomenon. And I actually had a call with somebody in Buenos Aires uh, this week talking about the economy there. And they have a, they just went through an election cycle and a lot is happening with their currency currently. And it was really interesting to hear this person lives in, in Buenos Aires. And they were saying that you can now use crypto. A lot of the, the merchants in the city now are allowing people to use crypto to pay with their phone. And that's that's stablecoin. It's mostly Tether on Tron, Tron blockchain. Tron has the most stablecoin volume as well, and that's mostly Tether. So very interesting to see it's mostly coming from these emerging markets. Really strong use case, extremely applicable when your currency is devaluing at 12% uh, per month, which is what it's doing in, in Argentina right now. So just wanted to make that point that this is an emerging market you know, use case and it's solving a real, real world problem. Oh, wow. I'm so glad that you brought it up. We, we need to do an episode sometime in the near future, maybe within a few weeks where we talk about stable coins, specifically going on chain with Tron and also, you know, the pain points that people face in countries like Zimbabwe, in Argentina, in Turkey, where it's just double digit inflation. And that means the devaluation of their currency. So thank you very much for bringing that very important point. I think our listeners who are, you know, on our different socials in a lot of emerging market economies as well would relate to that. So thank you. Coming back, if 2023 was the year of stable coins, 2023 was definitely not the year for NFTs. I think it was the terrible year for the NFTs in 2023. What do you think, Michael? What is NFTs going to experience in 2024? I'm expecting a resurgence of NFTs. I don't, I think there's something powerful with NFTs. And, you know, the first use case of these things has been these like, you know, profile pictures. And we saw some just absurd stuff with NFTs and how things were getting priced. And I think there was like a, a rock, a picture of a rock was like a million dollars. So I hope we see less of that, but I absolutely expect NFTs, NFT communities to really have a strong resurgence. It's fascinating to me to see what we've talked about ordinals on, on Bitcoin, where the volumes of what we're seeing over on Bitcoin is starting to what we're seeing on Ethereum. There's some really interesting NFT activity on Solana as well. And so, yeah, expecting NFTs 
to come back. I'm expecting consumer adoption of NFTs to continue to move forward. And coming back to Solana again, I don't want to be too bullish on Solana, but if you're a, a corporate consumer brand and you want to drop an NFT to 100,000 of your customers, you want to do it on chain and you have data, you have on chain data indicating that these are customers that are going to be, you know, in your product cohort. You can do that on Solana like that and at very low fees. And now you've developed, you know, maybe what are you dropping in there? You're probably dropping a discount to to a product. Maybe it's an experience, access to an experience. And now you have a one-to-one relationship with the customer. If you can do it at really low cost and instantly on Solana, I think that's pretty powerful use case for consumer brands. So yeah, looking for some of that. And then we'll see, like, I think we'll see more celebrities getting involved with NFTs. I don't know. Again, it's kind of like the social media gaming thing. Like, I feel like somebody's going to hit there. I don't know who it's going to be, but I expect to see, again, to get that one-to-one relationship with your fans. I think that's the really the, the value prop of these NFTs and excited to see see it come back. We have seen it sort of bounce off the bottoms, but it was a rough year, certainly, uh, for NFTs. So look, uh, I'll just make a quick comment. Uh, so one of my good friends in crypto is Rohan Honda, who's an Indian-American. Uh, he's based out of Miami, and uh, he was one of the employees of Yuga Labs when uh, they were working on their ApeCoin tokens. So he was instrumental in leading those token incentives. He now works for the deal team at Mistine Labs. And uh, he came on the Proof of Work podcast and we had a discussion. Uh, I'm still yet to release the episode, but it will get released soon. And he said exactly the same thing. He's like, 2023 was a bad year for NFTs, but you guys got no idea what's coming for NFTs. So shout out to Rohan. But yeah, look, uh, NFTs is something that I ha- I personally don't deep dive into it because I come more from a finance background. As a concept, I think it's got immense potential. When you look at the purity of Board Ape Yacht Club, that you can buy one of the Board Ape and you now own the rights of that image. And now you can use it to start your own board ape yacht restaurant uh, for with using that character. You can start a game with that. The benefits of creating your own NFT drops, being an artist, I've got some friends who are NFT artists and they've made six-figure income, which is decent for an artist. It's good money for an artist uh, by dropping their own NFTs. So I also see a resurgence in NFTs. I think it will correlate with the rate cuts. Uh, as money starts becoming cheap, we're going to see lot more speculative activity, which will drive innovation in NFTs, I believe. So yeah, it's something that will keep a tap on the NFTs of all this year. And just one more mention on that is uh, Pudgy, Pudgy Penguins, which I think is a very interesting NFT project. I'm not as close to the NFT world either, but I follow some activity and yeah, Pudgy Penguins, you know, they're building a real brand here so they they have dolls now that are in walmart right they if you check out their instagram page like they're creating a consumer brand here and the onboarding experience like in terms of like how you're interacting with the blockchain they've really kind of abstracted that away and made that really simple i think you when you buy that that doll in walmart i think there's a qr code you scan it you're doing an on-chain transaction at that point like but it but you don't even know you're interacting with the blockchain super interesting and then the royalties from selling that stuff. That's where I think there's some intellectual property laws and I'm not exactly sure if they're able to, you know, essentially return some of those royalties back to the holders of the NFTs. I'm not exactly sure how that's that's uh, set up currently, but it's clear that you can create a community and a brand 
using NFTs. And we're going to find out like what business models sort of spawn off of that uh, in the future. So absolutely love pudgy penguins, love them, love the team behind them, love their strategy. And look, uh, and yeah, look, uh, you know, when you look at it, Mr. Beast, for example, YouTuber used his YouTube community to build some amazing businesses. Some of them that he's doing now, like the burger business, but uh, he has the potential to build great businesses because of his YouTube community that he's created under the brand name Mr. Beast. And Pudgy Penguin and NFTs, I believe is just an extension of that, where you can use NFTs as a vehicle to create the community and then build businesses out of it. So it's community as a business. A lot of people think that YouTube is distribution as a business, which could be, but Mr. Beast showcased that he used YouTube to build a community and then build a business. And that's what NFTs can be leveraged as well. Now, Michael, whatever we're talking about so far, yes, it's important, but nothing is more important than what US politics would dictate, not only for crypto, but for the rest of the world and for the rest of the economy. 2024, Europe elections, is it going to be the resurgence of Trump? I think so. You know, we don't like to talk about politics necessarily, but this impacts our industry. I'm an independent, so I try to, we've talked about politics off the record. I try not to get too involved in just, you know, attaching my identity to politics. But I'm here in the United States. We are in an election year and... Yeah, I was looking at some polling numbers and Trump is, it's actually astonishing the lead that he has already over here. The last time I looked, he was up 51% to 23% for Biden. So at, at this time of the cycle uh, last year, and a lot can change, you know, we've got some time before the election, uh, but at this time of the election cycle, in 2020, it was 42 to 43% to give you an idea. So that's a massive, massive lead for Trump. He's leading in all of the swing states that he lost in the last cycle. So it feels to me that at least if you're just looking at the polling numbers now, the White House is probably going to go Republican. And there's a lot of four cases that Trump is involved with as well. And so, you know, we're assuming he's on the ballot. But you know, it does look to me like the tide is turning towards the Republican Party. And then the Senate, you know, they, the Republicans can take back the Senate, which is really where a lot of the policies coming from, from Senator Warren and the Senate Finance Committee, the Republicans can take back the Senate with one seat. So it's very close already. And I expect that to happen as well. So I'm predicting clean sweep for the Republicans. And I believe that will be good for crypto. Trump was not necessarily friendly to crypto in his first term, but we've seen a pretty aggressive stance, I would say, from the Biden administration towards crypto. And I think, you know, anybody who comes in from the Republican Party is going to be more positive. So I view this as a positive for, for crypto as well. But that's the final prediction for, for this year is that the Republicans take control of crypto congress in the united states and that that will be good for for crypto as well so look uh thank you for giving the analysis about the u.s politics especially since you are on the ground in the u.s this is going to be an important topic that uh, i think we're going to regularly cover this year because uh, american politics especially during the election year matters a lot at a macroeconomic point of view not just crypto, macroeconomic, and in an increasingly fragile geopolitical world that we are living in. So yeah, whatever happens this year is going to matter a lot. So I think we would cover US politics further. I'm currently residing in India, and I just want to give like quick two minutes about, because 2024 is going to be the election year in India as well. Although people are predicting that it's going to be a landslide victory for Prime Minister Modi. The reason why I brought this up is that because the Rundown podcast, uh, yes, we talk about crypto a lot. It's the world's first crypto fundamentals educational podcast. But Michael and I both come from traditional finance background. 
and we evaluate geopolitics and we also use macroeconomics, global macro, to consider what's going to have its impact in crypto. India hasn't really stepped up to the table when it comes to its impact in crypto. I think it's still behind than other, other geographies out there. But from a geopolitics lens, it's going to be a very important year for India-US relations. America sees India as its natural geopolitical partner when it comes to countering the rise of China since India and China share its borders. And I do not know whether this was covered hugely in US or not, but Modi and Trump, they are like the bestest of friends. I do not know whether you know this, but they have both- I didn't are, know, no. Yeah, they both are the bestest of friends. So when you see Trump coming back to White House, you probably are gonna see an increased collaboration. Not saying that Biden and Modi relations were bad. They both were great as well. And if there is any testimony of that, it's that U.S. was sanctioning every country that was supporting Russia. However, a lot of Americans, especially DeFi Report subscribers, might not be familiar with it. India was probably the only country that was continuing to buy oil from Russia despite the U.S. sanctions. And still, Biden and Modi have friendly relations and U.S. didn't punish India for it. So it just speaks volume of the importance of India and the leader of India for US when it comes from a geopolitical lens. Yeah, 2024 is going to be an important year for both these countries. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. I mean, this is not a show about politics, but if you're an analyst, like we are investors, we are also entrepreneurs in this space. So like politics obviously impacts us. And so just from an analyst perspective, it's something we have to be watching. And yeah, I think we will probably cover this as the year starts to unfold. The big election year, a lot's happening. I'm boots on the ground for you over in the States over here. So we'll keep everybody up to speed with what's happening. Amazing. Look, uh, I really enjoyed our first episode for 2024, Michael. How do you think it went? I think it went great. I think we're off to a great start. Super excited. I hope uh, it seems like we are the, the good luck charm for the crypto markets ever since we started the rundown. So super excited for what what's in store for us for this year. And yeah, looking forward to, to doing this weekly with you as we go. Amazing. So look, thanks a lot, everyone, for tuning in, for subscribing to us on our respective socials, for liking our videos. Keep on sending your love to us. Keep on telling us where we can improve. We will only improve and give you the appropriate content and education if you let us know where we are missing. If you like us, tell us thank you for providing this. It will encourage us and our team at Philippines as well, uh, Gian and his team, Nicole and all, uh, of all the great hard work that these guys do, where we are the faces, but the real engine behind our team at Philippines as well. So tell us, you know, if we are doing well. And also, we would really love if you think that this video was great, since this is the 2024 predictions video and we are keeping each other accountable. If you think this is a trusted source, share it with your dad, share it with your mom, share it with your friends, share it with your brother. I know I'm going to tell Michael to share it with his brother so that he can get into crypto now. But uh, I'm looking at you, brother. Uh, you need to get into crypto. <laughs> so yeah, uh, share it with your friends. Uh, and that would mean a lot to us. And uh, we just want correct trustworthy information, balanced insights to go for the crypto community, because this is a revolutionary time that we are living in where both crypto and TradFi can coexist, can benefit from each other. These are our humble attempts to remove the bad actors from the space that just keep on putting thumbnails of $10,000 Ethereum so that you can clickbait on it and get no value. Please share with us if you think this was valuable. But until next week, signing off then, Michael. Till next week. Thanks, everybody.
See you next week.